1: Here's your host, Radical
3: Russ Melville. Good day, Tokers and tocats, and non-Toking lovers of Liberty. It is Tuesday, April 12th, 2016, and it's got to be 420 somewhere in the world. Welcome to the show. So glad to be here with you, live and direct from beautiful Legal Potland, Oregon. My last couple of days here in Potland before I hit the road on the major 2016 marijuana legalization tour. I'm going all across the country, folks. And I'd really love to meet you as I go across this great land of ours. Uh, we'll be at the uh, Blazers versus Nuggets game tomorrow, and I'll be streaming live from the pre-party at Refuge PDX. We'll get a chance to talk to, we hope, some uh, NBA players like Cliff Robinson and whoever else might show up. So make sure you tune in live on Cannabis Radio tomorrow for that show at uh, 3 o'clock Pacific. And then I'm on a jet plane on my way to Washington, D.C. to cover the SSDP Conference, and then New York City to cover Mark Kleiman's Summit and the United Nations General Assembly. Then we catch another plane make our way back to Eugene for the Oregon Marijuana Business Conference. That's coming up on April Twenty fourth. It's a Sunday at the Eugene Hilton. And joining us today at Half Past in our Canada Business Chronicles, we've got Alex Rogers. He's the man behind the Oregon Marijuana Business Conference. And uh, he'll be there to uh, tell us all about the conference. It's really exciting. We've got a celebrity interview with Tommy Chong, a great sit-down interview you'll be able to enjoy. As well as Dr. Carl Hart from Columbia University will be speaking uh, the keynote address at the Oregon Marijuana Business Conference. There's been a lot of changes here in Oregon with recreational marijuana, medical marijuana, a lot of bills that have been passed in the past couple of sessions. If you are interested in cannabis business in Oregon, this will be the event to attend. It's one day. You can get it all in in one day and some of the state's leading experts will be there. Alex will be here at half past to tell us more. Plus there's also all sorts of great socializing that goes on at this event too. So uh, we'll uh, tell you all about that coming up in the can of business chronicles. Then uh, at uh, the radical rant portion of the show, the end of the show, I actually get, to take a break. I don't have to rant because we've got a guest joining us who's going to do a little ranting for me. Although he's not as ranty as I am. He likes to approach things in a more calm fashion. It's John Hudak from the Brookings Institute will be joining us to talk about their latest uh, paper they've put out, The Medical Marijuana Mess, a prescription to fix a broken policy. I'm usually the one that gets in trouble for calling medical marijuana a mess. So it's nice to have someone else on the show that will take some slings and arrows for me. John Hudek joins us at uh, 45 past on the hour today's show. Uh, Also coming up on the show, we'll go behind the headlines and take a look at uh, the new changes in Florida's very limited medical marijuana law and some of the jockeying that's going on amongst the very limited set of producers that are allowed to work within the confines of that law. But that all comes after the Cannabis Radio News. And in the headlines today, we've got some international news for you from Paris, France, where a minister had called for a selective lifting of prohibition. We've got news from Melbourne. Australia, where medical marijuana has finally taken root in the down under, I guess. Uh, in Providence, Rhode Island, we've got at least 10 bills about marijuana that are being discussed today. Phoenix, Arizona, we got news on the campaign to regulate marijuana-like alcohol. Orlando, Florida, might surprise us all by decriminalizing marijuana just in time for me to go there in May. In Denver, we've got a new kind of license for marijuana couriers being discussed. And two small towns that are suburbs of Chicago could be voting on marijuana legalization if a meeting turns out well tonight in those two towns. We'll give you the details on that and more coming up on the Russ Belville Show. And then stay tuned for Hour 2. Toker Talk Radio we will take your calls and you can be the voice of the marijuana nation. We're back in two minutes. Stick around. This is the Russ Belleville Show on
1: CannabisRadio.com.
4: Every strain, every sale, every medical study. Keep it right here on the Cannabis Radio Network.
2: with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at Orangehilldevelopment.com
4: Tommy Chong is ready to cut through the smoke and change the tone of Tilt Radio. You know, during Dance with the
2: Stars, I started feeling discomfort. Yeah, and not only that, I was doing these old
3: man smells, and it was kind of embarrassing because you know all the Dancing with the Stars crew, cast and crew, you know they were all young kids. Yeah, you know, and then all of a sudden this old guy would come along and do one of those silent farts, you know that you don't know you're doing it. Yeah, and all of a sudden you smell, and everybody go, "What the hell smells?" And you know, and you knew it was me, and, and so I'd scurry off to the bathroom, you know, and that's when I knew that there was something wrong. The
4: Tommy John Podcast. Only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome to
1: my world, world, world. You're tuned into the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation. Only on CannabisRadio.com.
3: Paris, France. Socialist lawmakers in France are rebuking a fellow minister who criticized the country's prohibition of marijuana as ineffective and called for, quote, a selective lifting of prohibition for adults, end quote. Parliamentary Relations Minister Jean-Marie Le Guen insisted that cannabis use was bad for public health, quote, particularly for young people, end quote, but that, quote, prohibition has not led to a decrease in consumption, end quote. One minister from the left said enacting Le Guin's ideas would show, quote, we have let our guard down in the fight against drugs, end quote, while a former prime minister on the right said, quote, legalization of cannabis would be an extremely permissive signal to send to young people, end quote. Cannabis has been prohibited in France since 1970, yet a World Health Organization survey of 42 wealthy nations showed that 15 percent of French 15-year-olds have used marijuana, the most in the survey beating out Canada but the United States was not included. Melbourne, Australia. The Australian state of Victoria became the first in the country to legalize medical marijuana following a vote today by the local government. But this won't be a whole plant medical marijuana like found in many U.S. states. The government will license very strictly regulated producers of cannabis, which will then be manufactured into non-smokable cannabinoid products. Children with epilepsy are expected to be the first to benefit from the law sometime in 2017. Providence, Rhode Island. Today, the Rhode Island House Judiciary Committee meets to discuss a bill that would legalize marijuana for adults 21 and older. But lawmakers will also consider other marijuana-related bills that include one to add post-traumatic stress as a qualifying condition for the Ocean State's Medical Marijuana Program and create a fast-track process to get medical marijuana to hospice patients. Other bills make changes to the Medical Marijuana Program and prohibit the home manufacture of solvent concentrates. (laughs) Phoenix, Arizona, the campaign to regulate marijuana like alcohol announced Tuesday that it has collected more than 200,000 signatures in support of a proposed initiative to end marijuana prohibition in Arizona. The campaign needs to collect 150,642 valid signatures of registered Arizona voters to qualify the initiative for the November ballot. The proposed initiative would allow adults 21 and older to possess limited amounts of marijuana, establish a system in which marijuana is regulated similarly to alcohol, and enact a 15% tax on retail marijuana sales, from which a majority of the revenue would be directed to Arizona schools and public education programs. Orlando, Florida. Orlando may become the latest Florida jurisdiction to decriminalize the personal possession of marijuana. Next Monday, the city council will take up a proposal to reduce the punishment for possession of up to 20 grams of marijuana from a misdemeanor to a violation of city code earning the first-time offender a $50 fine and no criminal record. The fine doubles for a second offense, and a third offense requires an appearance in court. Tampa recently decriminalized possession, as has the counties of Volusia, Broward, Miami-Dade, and Palm Beach. The punishment for possession of marijuana misdemeanor under the state law is a $1,000 fine and up to one year in jail. (laughs) Denver, Colorado, a first-of-its-kind license for marijuana couriers, is nearing approval in Colorado. The state house gave preliminary approval to creating a new marijuana transporter license under the pot regulating agency. Colorado already has 12 marijuana courier companies which fill out shipping manifests to move pot from growing warehouses to store shelves. The couriers are currently classified as marijuana vendors, a broad category which includes other ancillary services. The new license would give those couriers additional powers, such as temporarily store Pot if an unexpected snowstorm closes a highway, Champaign-Urbana, Illinois. Citizens in the suburbs of Chicago could be voting on the legalization of marijuana if voters tonight at two small obscure town meetings to place non-binding public policy questions on the ballot. The advisory question is, quote, should the state of Illinois legalize and regulate the sale and use of marijuana in a similar fashion as the state of Colorado, end quote. And whether it is placed on the November ballot in these two Illinois townships will be decided by a majority who attends the 6 p.m. meeting in Cunningham Township, Urbana, and the 7 p.m. town meeting in Champaign. Pro-marijuana supporters are expected expected To turn out to these annual meetings that usually only attract the city officials required to attend. This has been your Cannabis Radio News for Tuesday, April 12, 2016. I'm Russ Bellville.
4: We have your smoking section right here. This is the Cannabis Radio Network. More
5: flavor. It's time for Cannabis Facts About Alzheimer's from Robert Platshorns, TheSilverTour.org. This message is supported by our donors and Hemp, Inc., a public company poised to lead America's hemp revolution at HempInc.com. A new Florida study in the journal Molecular and Cellular Neuroscience found that cannabis promotes the growth of healthy new brain tissue. It can slow the effects of Alzheimer's and may, in fact, be able to halt it entirely. A long-term study by Ohio State University's Professor Gary Wink concludes that people who regularly use marijuana get Alzheimer's at a much lower rate than others. This was Cannabis Facts from the Silvertour.org, an educational nonprofit supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to lead America's hemp revolution at hempinc.com.
1: This is The Rust Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
3: When you are starting up a medical cannabis business, you want a fired up lawyer who understands the needs of cannabis consumers. The law office of Lauren Vasquez is your fired-up lawyer for the cannabis industry. Visit her website, fireduplawyer.com, or call 1-855-MMJ-LAWS for more information. That's 855-665-5297 for Lauren Vasquez, your fired-up lawyer, or email fireduplawyer at gmail.com.
1: The world of cannabis is evolving at a frenetic pace. The Russ Belleville Show gets behind the headlines to take a deeper look at breaking news in our Cannabis
3: Focus. Today in the Cannabis Focus, we take a look at the state of Florida where a new law has been passed to expand the very limited medical marijuana that exists in Florida. Florida is one of those southern states that have passed the CBD only laws. This came about in 2014. Uh, this was the, uh, you know, CBD only meaning the non euphoric oil, non-smoked marijuana, very low in THC uh, for usually the kids with epilepsy, the severe epilepsy, but it also uh, was legalized for severe muscle spasms or cancer under this uh, Florida law. Uh, Now, there's also been a call for production of this CBD oil, and Florida, unlike some of these other southern states was supposed to be moving forward with some sort of production here. Uh, It authorized nurseries that have been in business for 30 years and grow at least 400,000 plants to apply for one of five dispensing organization licenses to produce the high CBD cannabis plants. Well, it was met with opposition right from the get-go based on those criteria having been in business for 30 years and growing 400,000 plants, locked out the black owners of nurseries in Florida who don't have 30 years worth of ownership in some of their businesses. So that was a scandal right from the beginning. Uh, It seemed a bit racist in the way it was keeping people, certain people out of this process. But even then it was very slow going On getting those licenses out, the health officials selected uh, five nurseries to be the first dispensary organizations just this last November. Now we've got a situation where the law has been upgraded and the new uh, the new uh, uh, standard there in Florida is that terminally ill patients can qualify for full-strength medical marijuana, they call it, uh, which is, you know, regular old medical marijuana with THC, if they're terminally ill under this law that allows access to experimental drugs for the terminally ill. So now we've got a whole new set of problems happening in the state of Florida. A week ago, the Department of Health granted one of these licenses to a nursery called San Falasco Nurseries. And this was because health officials wrongly disqualified this grower. Uh, There was a challenge by McCrory's Sunny Hill Nursery, which was already challenging for a license. And the new challenge is that one of the winners, which was uh, Knox Nursery, received a score that was one one thousandth of a percent greater. (laughs) And so they got the license and. He is suing that under one of the scoring categories, he should have gotten a higher score and that would have led to an overall, you know, beating that one one thousandth of a percent. Now, this is, uh, again, again a reflection of prohibitionist thinking in limiting these dispensaries so strictly having such high hurdles for these businessmen to have to clear just to be even able to qualify And then there are only being five of them to produce for a state of what? What are there, 20 million people in Florida, something like that? It it leads to this unnatural sort of capitalism, this predatory sort of capitalism, and it it grinds the gears of this bureaucracy to a halt as they try to fairly administer these precious few licenses that are available. It's my hope that the medical marijuana amendment in Florida – that's uh, Amendment 2 again this year, they got the same number, will pass and render a lot of these questions moot because it contains within it a regulatory structure that would allow for much more uh, production of medical marijuana throughout the state. It would be a much closer example of hewing to some sort of free market for medical marijuana. And as the state continues to drag its feet on what has been passed legislatively, I believe that can only motivate more Florida voters to want to vote for the initiative, feeling that, look, we gave the legislature a shot. We let them try to do it in the deliberative, bureaucratic fashion, and it's been a failure. And people have continued to suffer and kids have continued to have seizures while these lawmakers can't get a handle on how to license a few people to grow some marijuana. Meanwhile, there are millions, well, hundreds of people in Florida, thousands perhaps, that are growing marijuana right now. Why does this have to be so difficult? Do the right thing, Floridians. Make sure you're registered to vote and vote yes on Amendment 2. Legalize medical marijuana in the state of Florida, please. All we want to do is pump you up. All right. Thanks, Hans and Franz. It's time for us to take a break. 420 in the mountain time zone so happy 420 to our friends in las cruces new mexico and truth or consequences new mexico and albuquerque new mexico and um that may be all the taos new mexico that might be all the new mexico towns i can think of off the top of my head (laughs) be back in two earn your phd in thc
4: monetization with CannabisRadio.com. Don't
2: be late. with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehildevelopment.com.
3: I'm Radical Russ from the Russ Belleville Show. We're here with Sir Richard Branson. far more damage has been done to people by the current approach. Jim McMahon, you know, a lot of the coaches
4: are old school. You know, he used to just yell at us, go, oh, you bunch of bot smokers.
3: John Popper on the telephone.
6: You know, I think in the 60s there was that kind of, the bigotry wasn't so common.
3: It's The Russ Belleville Show, the NPR of POT, weekdays live at 6 Eastern, 3 Pacific, exclusively on CannabisRadio.com.
1: You're not high. You're listening to The Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
2: I do not like them, Sam. I am. I do not like green eggs and ham.
1: Okay. Maybe you're high, too.
3: Coming soon to a city near you Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. Get all your cannabis accounting, legal, and compliance questions answered by their knowledgeable panel of industry experts who want to help your cannabis business boom. Whether you're a grower, dispensary operator, or a newcomer to the field, your cannabis business needs Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. For information on upcoming events, visit CannabisFinanceBootCamp.com.
1: of Drug War Data Mining.
3: Today in the Data Mines, we take a look at the unfolding state of marijuana legalization all across this great country of ours. 2016 Legalization Tour, I'll be traveling from coast to coast promoting the end of adult marijuana prohibition, and here is what is on the menu. First of all, for national marijuana legalization initiatives, Nevada is already on the ballot, and it's got a pretty good chance to pass. There's not much polling there, but it is likely to pass. and the state legislators there have embraced and expanded medical marijuana over the recent years. California, great chance to make the ballot and a pretty good chance to pass. It's, of course, the big prize, like in every national election. The Adult Use of Marijuana Act has the backing of the major drug policy reform orgs and, of course, billionaire Sean Parker, so he'll have the money to collect all the signatures they need to make the ballot. Recent polling shows about 55% of Californians' Generally support legalization. Massachusetts, I think there's a good chance to make the ballot and a good chance to pass. This is, uh, the MPP Crimla, uh, campaign to, uh, regulate marijuana like alcohol. Uh, they passed Decrim in 2008 in Massachusetts and Medical in 2012. Both of those got over 60% of the vote. It could be closer in 2016 with legalization. Recent polls are showing just above a 50% average support for legalization there. In Arizona, uh, they've got a MPP-backed Kremla. I think it has a good chance to make the ballot and a questionable chance as to whether it passes. Uh, It's got anti-marijuana zealots there and... The support so far is only a 45% plurality, 45% who support legalization, 42 who support medical, 13% who think marijuana ought to be completely illegal. That's in an Arizona State poll, Arizona State University, I should say. Uh, in Maine, there is a fourth MPP-backed Kremlin with a questionable chance to make the ballot, but a great chance to pass if it does. Uh, this week, or last week, I should say, the Maine judge reversed The decision on disqualifying 17,000 signatures, those will be reviewed. And if they uh, enough of them are valid, that will almost surely allow the marijuana policy project Kremla, to make the ballot there. Uh, A 2015 poll showed almost two thirds of Mainers support marijuana legalization. So a very good chance to pass there. And then in Michigan. A slim chance to make the ballot, but a good chance to pass if they do. A grassroots group there is called Comprehensive Cannabis Law Reform Initiative Committee. Their banner is MI Legalize, like Michigan Legalize. And they claim to have raised over 600,000 and 260,000 signatures, but they need to get. 253,000 signatures and so they'll need many more to deal with the problem of invalid signatures and the uh, Michigan legislature recently changed the rules on signature gathering that calls a lot of their existing signatures into question but if they make the ballot 53% of Michiganders currently support marijuana legalization so that's six states that might have marijuana legalization on the ballot one of those already does have it on the ballot. If they all made the ballot and win, we would have 10 U.S. states with marijuana legalization. There would be 84 million Americans in those states, and that would be 25%, little over 25% of the population. One out of four Americans would live in a legal marijuana state if they all passed. Now, there are other state legalization initiatives. There are MCLR in California. There's Arizonans for Mindful Reform in Arizona. There's the Missouri Cannabis Restoration Protection Act. And they all, as they say in sports, have a mathematical shot at the playoffs. Unfortunately, some of those same activists in California, Arizona, Missouri, and Massachusetts, for that matter, are vowing to defeat the other initiatives that are likely to make the ballot. So we got to keep our eye on that for medical marijuana initiatives. We've got Florida. It's on the ballot and it has a great chance to, uh, to pass. Uh, it's recent polls show about 65% support in Ohio. There's a good chance to make the ballot and a great chance to pass, even though they defeated legalization last year by almost a two to one margin. During that they polled and found three out of four Ohioans support Medical marijuana, MPP's taking the lead there with the Ohioans for Medical Marijuana group, and they're already past their first initial hurdle with the uh, Attorney General's office to go forth and gather signatures. With the funding they'll get, they got a good chance of making the ballot. In Missouri, there's a slim chance to make the ballot, but a good chance to pass. Uh, Drug Policy Alliance has donated fifty thousand dollars to help New Approach Missouri gather signatures with the medical marijuana initiative in the Show Me State, but. There's only 30 days remaining for petitioning, and they've only collected 58% of the 256,000 signature goal they need. But if they got on the ballot, 64% of Missourians are in favor. If you add these three states to the current 23 states in Washington, D.C. that recognize medical use, there'd be 186 million Americans in those states, or over 58% of the population. In Pennsylvania, if they get their act together and manage to pass the Medical Marijuana Act there, and you add that to those other states, we'd have 27 of them, and there'd be medical marijuana in over 62% of the population would be in those states, over 200 million Almost 200 million Americans. And then as far as legalization, we told you the story of Rhode Island. They're discussing a legalization bill tonight in their House Judiciary Committee. So Rhode Island was working on a legislative legalization, Vermont. It's kind of stalled on its uh, legalization in the House, but the Senate has favored it. So it's working forward there. And we've got other states uh, that have tried and killed their medical marijuana bills. Unfortunately, Nebraska, Kentucky, South Carolina, Tennessee, and West Virginia are not moving forward with their medical marijuana bills. We'll be covering the 2016 marijuana election all this year on Cannabis Radio News and the Russ Belville Show here on CannabisRadio.com. Join us on Marijuana Election Night Live Tuesday, November 8th, 2016. It'll be my fifth straight live election night for you. We're back in two with Alex Rogers.
1: This is the Russ Belville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
4: Forwarding the cause of legalization and research of the growing cannabis industry, one podcast at a time. The Cannabis Radio Network.
0: Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world.
7: Hi, this is Willie Nelson. Alcohol prohibition didn't work in the 1920s, and marijuana prohibition isn't working today. It's time we stopped arresting responsible marijuana smokers. It's the fair thing to do.
5: For more information, contact NORML, the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. Call toll-free 888-67-NORML or visit their website at NORML.org.
1: You're not high... You're listening to The Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
5: The Supreme Court is wrong on the Second Amendment.
1: Okay. Maybe you're high, too.
3: When you are starting up a medical cannabis business, you want a fired-up lawyer who understands the needs of cannabis consumers. The Law Office of Lauren Vasquez is your fired-up lawyer for the cannabis industry. Visit her website, fireduplawyer.com, or call 1-855-MMJ-LAWS for more information. That's 855-665-5297 for Lauren Vasquez, your fired-up lawyer, or email fireduplawyer at gmail.com. Mark Twain once said that when there's a gold rush, it's a good time to be in the pick-and-shovel business. Today, we look at the rapidly evolving markets in the marijuana green rush in our Canna Business Chronicles. Today in the Cannabis Business Chronicles, we are taking a look at the upcoming Oregon Marijuana Business Conference. It will be happening on April 24th here in Eugene, Oregon, at the Eugene Hilton downtown. And uh, Alex Rogers from the Oregon Marijuana Business Conference will be joining us in just a minute here uh, on the telephone. But uh, I'll preview this a little bit for you to give you an idea because I have covered and been a part of Alex's conferences, both the Oregon conference and the international conference. And I can tell you that these are top of the world events. These are certainly international class events as far as the quality of people that you will be interacting with and the quality of information that you will get from the speakers. And the networking couldn't be better as well. You won't be inundated by some massive, noisy expo atmosphere. There's 40 exhibitors, so you can have time to see them all and interact with them very closely and and do the networking that you need to do to move your business forward without feeling pressured to have to visit 500 different booths that might be on some big, loud expo floor. So uh, that's one aspect of this that I always find very uh, useful, and the other Aspect of the Oregon Marijuana Business Conference is the scheduling of the event, and the main keynote speaker that everyone is looking forward to we, the the conference begins and ends with the fireworks. It begins with Dr. Carl Hart and Dr. Carl Hart has become uh, quite the media darling. Uh, with respect to the war on drugs lately, an unimpeachable background from Columbia University, a neuropsychopharmacologist who's been working in the field for years and has studied more about different drugs than almost anyone else in the country, uh, he will be delivering the keynote at 9 a.m. on Sunday, and you can learn more about this at oregonmbc.com, Oregon MBC, as in Oregon Marijuana Business Conference.com. And Carl uh, Hart's speech will run for the first hour, 9 a.m., and then at 10 a.m. we have a piece on local ordinances and activism that will feature Leland Berger, who's a cannabis attorney who's argued all the way to the the Supreme Court with respect to our marijuana rights and regulations. Sarah Duff and Anthony Johnson from Duff Johnson Consulting. Of course, Anthony was the uh, the man who was the chief petitioner of Oregon's legalization law. Sarah Duff, his wife, a consultant who's been working with the medical marijuana industry for over a decade now. They'll be talking about the latest local ordinances that are happening all throughout the state of Oregon, where especially in eastern Oregon, they are coming up with bans and prohibitive zoning to try to uh, restrict the unfolding of the marijuana industry. At 11 o'clock, there will be a panel on OLCC licensing and compliance. This panel will feature Nathan Ricks, Amanda Borup, Will Higlin, and it's moderated by Brent Kenyon. This will be all about topics including uh, licensing and requirements for farming, retail, wholesale, Manufacturing and processing, and the brand new micro canopy license that allows medical marijuana growers to supply to the recreational marijuana market while still continuing to care and provide for their patients. You can. There will be a question and answer opportunity as well to get all your answers about these latest changes to the Oregon laws. Twelve o'clock will be the lunch break, a perfect time to network and meet others at the event. And then at 1.15, there will be a presentation by Aaron Smith, the director of the National Cannabis Industry Association, to tell us all what's happening with the latest reforms and what are needed in uh, the federal level in Washington, D.C., when it comes to our industry. At 1.30 p.m., we have the mayor of Coquille, Oregon. His name is Matt Rowe. He's Oregon's youngest-serving mayor but he's in this fourth year on the job. Uh, he will be discussing the successes he's had in Coquille and push to keep their city council from restricting the marijuana industry in that area that area of the uh, southern Oregon coast Matt Rowe the mayor of Coquille speaking at 130 at 145 a legislative update from state senator Floyd Prezanski one of the champions of both medical and recreational marijuana in the Oregon legislature he'll be speaking at 145 215 a panel on growers and retailers on how large grow sites are affected by some of the new law changes and how retailers are affected by some of the new ordinances that have been passed. At 3 o'clock, a panel on cannabis processors that includes Leland Berger, again, to offer the legal perspective, and then Pioneer Pete and Cedar Gray, two well-respected cannabis processors in this industry to offer their perspective. At 3.45, a panel on testing, labeling, and branding. Bjorn Fritsch and Jeremy Hanlon, We'll be going all over the branding and labeling topics. And then at four o'clock, we close the show with the superstar, Tommy Chong, who will sit down for an onstage intimate interview by Steve Bloom from celebstoner.com and Freedom Leaf magazine. That's a full day that you're going to get that Sunday, April 24th in Eugene at the Eugene Hilton for the Oregon Marijuana Business Conference. The website again is oregonmbc.com. You can learn more about that and still book your tickets. You can also get a conference ticket, uh, for $199. And there's another one for $299, which gives you the conference ticket plus the Saturday night VIP reception with Dr. Carl Hart. This is, uh, the, VIP reception that will be happening uh, Saturday night from six to eight at the Hilton Sky Lounge, and it kicks off the conference weekend uh, the night before the conference. This is the Saturday night. So if you want to make that uh, that uh, VIP reception, it's Saturday night, six to eight. We'll have the chance to hobnob with Dr. Carl Hart, the VIP party. Happens at the Wow Hall. That's the Workers of the World Hall in Eugene, Oregon. At 8 p.m. on Sunday night, Tommy Chong will be there. And that event is free for all ticket holders. So one ninety nine gets you into everything that's happening on Sunday from the full uh, day's event all the way through Tommy Chong's uh, celebrity interview and the after party. If you spend the extra $100, you can get into the Saturday night VIP reception with Dr. Carl Hart. All of this, again, can be found at the OregonMBC.com website for the Oregon Marijuana Business Conference. Tickets are still on sale now at the uh, website and at the locations, uh, Jamaica Joel's, Greenerside, TJ Organics, Flower of Life, Northwest Alternative Health, and Ashland Alternative Health. Or you can purchase tickets by phone by dialing 888 920 6076, that's a toll free number, 888-920-6076. Oregon Marijuana Business Conference at the Eugene Hilton on April 24th, 2016. And if you need to stay, uh, the Hilton has discounted rooms for people that are staying at the hotel. For more information on that, visit the website at OregonMBC.com. Some of the exhibitors that will be uh, appearing there at the Oregon Marijuana Business Conference will include... Greenleaf Labs, the National Cannabis Industry Association, Tommy Chong's in, uh, new venture, Chong Sun Inc., the Russ Belleville show, of course, we will be there covering the event. Evergreen Law Group, the Oregon Sun Growers Sungrown Growers Guild, CannabisRadio.com, the Arcview Group, and so many more. Sage Analytics, Security Monster, Northwest Alternative Health. These are the people in the state of Oregon who are the pioneers in this marijuana industry. If you want to get involved, if you want to help promote your brand or get your brand involved with these other brands, this will be the place to be. The Oregon Marijuana Business Conference, OregonMBC.com, April 24th, Sunday at the Eugene Hilton. We will be there bringing you coverage on the Russ Belville Show as well. All right, we've got to take a break, and my apologies. uh, Alex uh, did not dial in for our interview. We'll see what happened, and maybe we can get him on the show sometime soon in the future. But we're going to take a break, and when we come back, crossing our fingers, we'll have John Hudak from the Brookings Institute dialing in to discuss his new report on the medical marijuana mess a prescription to fix a broken policy. I'm Radical Russ live in beautiful legal potland, Oregon. Later tonight, we'll be at the National Cannabis Industry Association, Oregon caucus, and I'll bring you some audio from that event on tomorrow's show. Don't forget to check out RadicalRust.com, my blog, where you can find all my writing from across the web and stuff you can't find anywhere else. We're back with John Hudak in two minutes.
1: This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
8: Next to THC and CBD, you can now add CBR to your cannabis vernacular. CBR as in CannabisRadio.com.
3: Northwest Alternative Health, Eugene's premier medical marijuana clinic, is proud to sponsor the Oregon Marijuana Business Conference. Are you prepared for the changes in the recreational and medical marijuana markets? The OMB presents the state's top industry experts, along with over 40 exhibitors, and features a keynote by Dr. Carl Hart. Also, tickets include a celebrity interview and private after party with the one and only Tommy Chong. Join us Sunday, April 24th at the downtown Eugene Hilton, and be a part of Oregon's fastest-growing industry. Check out OregonMBC.com for more details.
8: CannabisRadio.com keeps you in the know Monday through Friday on air and on demand with Cannabis Radio News, presented with the definitive worldwide news source, the Associated Press. Stay informed with exclusive news on all things cannabis. Cannabis Radio News, live weeknights at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific, during the Russ Belville Show. Or download the daily podcast exclusively on CannabisRadio.com, as well as iTunes, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. When breaking news happens in the cannabis industry, Cannabis Radio News delivers the details first.
1: The Russ Belleville Show, where the truth about marijuana gets more than a minute to speak.
4: It's It's time. It's time. It's time.
8: It's time.
4: The time has come to end prohibition of marijuana in Vermont.
0: It's time. It's time. It's time for marijuana sales to take place in regulated businesses
5: and stop taking place in our neighborhoods. It's time. It's time.
7: It's time to create rules for testing and labeling marijuana so that consumers can know what they're getting. It's time.
0: It's time. It's time time to stop punishing adults for consuming a product that's less harmful than alcohol
5: and spend more time addressing serious crimes. Prohibition has failed. It's time for a more sensible approach. S-241 would end prohibition and regulate marijuana in Vermont. We are ready.
0: We're ready. We're ready.
5: Who ready? We're ready. ready.
3: Vermont is ready.
5: Contact a
8: representative now and ask them to support S-241. It's time to end prohibition and regulate marijuana in Vermont.
3: With over six years of experience in the industry, New Era CPAs is one of the nation's leading cannabis accounting firms, helping hundreds of growers, dispensaries, and ancillary companies with their tax, legal, and business strategies. New Era CPAs offices cover the West Coast from Seattle to San Diego, and their skilled team is always available to help you take your business to the next level. Visit neweracpas.com for more info and set up a consultation. Welcome to the New Era.
1: The best weapon you can have in the Prohibition War is your mind. Fill your head with the knowledge you need by checking out this latest entry in the Russ Belleville show's Reformers Reader.
3: Welcome back, everybody. Today in the Reformers Reader, we get a chance to have another guest that we love to talk to. John Hudak from the Brookings Institute is on the line. John, welcome back to the show. Hello, John. Do we have you on the line? Oh my goodness. Once again, having some audio difficulties here with uh, our connection. Let me—we uh, will try to redial John and get him here on the phone from the Brookings Institute uh, and uh, talk to him about what's happening with his new report that's entitled "The Medical Marijuana Mess: A Prescription for Fixing a Broken Policy." And uh, let's see if we've got uh, John on the line now. John, can you uh, can you hear me? Okay, out there. I can. Oh, thank you. I'm so glad to have you here. We uh, had some technical difficulties, but it seems like everything's okay. I was introducing people to your the thesis of your paper, the medical marijuana mess, but I'm sure you can do a better job than I. Tell people what is the medical marijuana mess we're in.
7: So uh, what I'm talking about in my latest Perkins essay is a situation we have in the United States in which the federal government has used band-aids to fix what are gaping wounds in public policy, and that is uh, a federal government acknowledgement that medical marijuana programs exist in the United States, and and it's very difficult for the federal government to shut down state systems, and a laissez-faire approach has been seen as the proper solution, but the reality is that approach from the Obama administration has created numerous problems facing patients and businesses and accountants and lawyers and regulators all across the United States. And so that fix really isn't a fix.
3: Some people would argue that the uh, Obama administration at least has been laissez-faire, unlike perhaps another administration, maybe a McCain or a Romney administration, that might have gone whole hog into filing injunctions and sending in the DEA. Uh, But do you think that uh, people don't give enough uh, credit to President Obama in that respect?
7: I I think that's right. I mean, Barack Obama has been the most pro-marijuana reform president we've had in our history, and he's taken steps that have been different than previous presidents and were probably different, as you said, than if Mitt Romney were elected president or John McCain were elected president. But at the end of the day, uh, challenges still exist. And while the Obama administration policy policies may be something that reform advocates are happy with, uh, there are different steps that could be taken that could clear up what are some very serious federal and state versus federal policy
3: challenges. I'd imagine that uh, a lot of that you're talking about are the banking problems and the uh, tax problems that are out there, uh, some of the things that would be addressed by the Carers Act in the Senate, right?
7: Yeah, there are issues involving veterans, there are issues involving banking, um, but general issues around access, general issues around research. The idea that if you live in one state, you might have access to you know whole flower marijuana you might have access um, to cbd oil but if you live five miles away on the other side of the state border you have to remain sick you don't have access to those materials and that's not how public policy is necessarily supposed to work and it's something that is really putting people at risk and so the uh, issue said, the banking issues and and uh... issues uh, abound for the marijuana industry But basic patient access is something that oftentimes is overlooked. Mm,
3: Very, very well put. We're speaking with John Hudak from the Brookings Institute. And uh, if people want to get this uh, report of yours online, this white paper, how can they do that?
7: They can go online to brookings.edu slash marijuana mess, and that will take them to not only the marijuana mess essay, but links to a variety of the work that we've been doing over the past several years at Brookings on the topic.
3: Excellent. Now, uh, with respect to what you are addressing there, would the Carers Act go a long way into addressing some of these problems, or is there still other areas that need to be tackled?
7: The Carers Act goes a long way in terms of addressing a lot of the problems that exist uh, with regard to federal policy and with regard to state-federal relations. But there's a lot of work to be done, and so issues involving veterans where veterans can't go to VA hospitals, even in states with legal medical marijuana programs, and ask for a recommendation. And, in fact, if they do ask for a recommendation or, God forbid, admit to using medical marijuana uh, illegally, uh, oftentimes they face some real repercussions from the VA system. It also helps fix... Uh, tax issues. It helps essentially empower states that have taken a step forward in terms of marijuana reform to maintain their state system, but also have some version of federal protection under the system. It doesn't force states that have marijuana as an illegal substance to opt in, but it allows those states who have chosen to opt in to have broader protection.
3: Sounds like some great policy recommendations, folks. You can learn more at brookings.edu slash marijuana mess. And uh, John, another headline that uh, went all across the mass media this past week was uh, the DEA indicating that uh, before the middle of, 2016 is over, they'll make an announcement on rescheduling petitions. Uh, First of all, do you see rescheduling as something that can have a major impact on this marijuana mess? And second of all, do you really think they're going to do anything different uh, other than just kick the can down the road?
7: So on the first point, you know, there are many in the uh, reform community who think of rescheduling as something that won't matter or something that might empower big pharma or Too small of a step to be worth the effort. The reality is I think for many uh, reform advocates any means by which the federal government is going to signal that they're changing their tune, that they're listening to the medical and scientific communities, and that they're willing to expand research has to be seen as a win on their behalf. And so rescheduling is going to help researchers answer some of the questions that exist out there around the efficacy of marijuana in, in therapeutic use and that, that basis in itself has been what the federal government has used to deny marijuana status as a drug for decades and so if you can start to answer those questions I think you can start to break down talking points which in and of itself has, has some value. Now as to the question of whether the DEA is ready to do this, uh, the DEA I think is loath to reschedule marijuana. But they're also currently facing a rapidly changing public opinion landscape, a rapidly changing scientific community. And uh, frankly, they recognize that if they don't change, the country is going to change without them. And so now is probably the best time uh, there has ever been in the policy world to see DEA make this change. But... uh, I'll I'll be convinced of it when they finally make that announcement.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I would like to see that, too. Uh, Now, you also uh, made a brief mention that we have federal issues to deal with and then also federal-state issues to deal with. Uh, What are some of the conflicts federal-state-wise that are part of this marijuana mess?
7: Well, a lot of the banking issues um, exist uh, in this uh, federal-state space, and so uh states have made efforts to give banks cover or to set up co-ops or credit unions or other types of institutions that can allow uh cannabis enterprises to have access to basic financial products like checking accounts or savings accounts or business loans but at the end of the day these institutions are still regulated by the federal reserve or they're still uh trafficking in banknotes which are federal reserve banknotes and so most of the states that have tried this have failed. And so uh, banking is, is a big deal. Taxes are another big deal. Cannabis enterprises, for the most part, are not able to write off the standard business taxes that any other business in the United States would be allowed to do. And uh, th- those are issues that even when states make reforms, the federal government is uh, setting up roadblocks to allow these businesses to function in uh, a a normal way, and I mean there are enforcement issues, there are regulatory issue- issues, there are product safety issues, but the federal government could play a much more major role in helping states regulate and run their own systems, and right now they're just sort of whistling and letting everything happen outside of uh, their, not control, but their ability to influence the process in a positive way.
3: So uh the state of Oregon here uh Governor Kate Brown just recently signed a bill that uh made changes to Oregon's banking laws with respect to uh marijuana industry but but these laws being passed right now are they just symbolic in nature they they make us feel good but they're not really going to help until the feds do something
7: Yeah there are, there are a lot of states that have made these efforts uh Colorado has um Governor Brown now has in, in Oregon and, and others have as well And each of them is a bit of a test case. It's trying to see how will not only the federal government respond, but how will financial institutions respond. So far, financial institutions have not responded well to these efforts because at at the end of the day, they're trafficking in in CYA public policy too. They don't want to get shut down. They don't want their assets frozen. And even though the banking industry is a risky enterprise, when it comes to cannabis, bankers are risk averse. And so no one has really cracked the code yet. The code gets cracked when the federal government reforms in this area. And until then, these piecemeal efforts um, just haven't been that successful.
3: John Hudak is from the Brookings Institute, and the uh, paper is The Medical Marijuana Mess, A Prescription for Fixing a Broken Policy, and you can get that at brookings.edu slash marijuana mess. And uh, before we let you go here at the top of the hour, John, uh, with Marco Rubio dropping out of the presidential race, we no longer have any candidates who are vociferously anti-marijuana. I mean, we get uh, Ted Cruz and and, uh, Donald Trump with kind of let's have a state's rights attitude toward it. Uh, Hillary Clinton has a rescheduling attitude. Bernie Sanders has a descheduling attitude. But how much can the president, no matter who it is, affect these changes that you need uh, to recommend, that you're recommending in your report?
7: Well, the president has huge influence. You know, right now the federal uh, position on marijuana exists because of a memo out of the Justice Department. Well, that memo in some ways functions like an executive order. The next president could reverse that in an instant, and the entire House of Cards can collapse. What we we have now with the five uh, presidential candidates uh, left in place, Cruz, uh, Kasich, Trump, Sanders, and Clinton, are people who are, at a minimum, happy with the Obama policy. They're not going to take a step backwards, and there are a lot of reasons uh, why that's true, but for the first time in, in American history, you have a slate of presidential candidates who are essentially signaling to the country, if you're a marijuana reformer, things will not get worse. They'll either, either stay the same, or I as president will make things better for your community. And it shows a maturity in Canada's policy, it shows that even presidential candidates have to talk about cannabis, not as a pun, not as a punchline, but as public policy. And that's a tremendous advance when we look back at where this policy area was 5, 10, 15 years ago.
3: John Hudak from the Brookings Institute, we always like having you on the show. Thanks for joining us, and uh, good luck on everything you have going.
7: Hey, Russ, thanks a lot for having me back.
3: Ah, good. Check it out. brookings.edu marijuana slash marijuana mess and you can get that information and folks that's all the time we got here for hour one thanks for joining us stay tuned for hour two toker talk radios next we'll take your calls at 971-533-7111 for everyone here at cannabisradio.com i'm radical russ live in beautiful legal potland oregon and until next time take care of each other tokers
1: This is the Russ Belville Show. The Russ Belville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at radicalrust.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you
7: grow it, you dry it,
1: you, rolling, you
7: roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it, it goes down smooth.
1: It's time for Toker Talk Radio, the voice of the marijuana nation. What are you people? On dope? Where you can toe. I am a Or you can talk.
7: I have still with marijuana and the they
1: or you can toke and talk. Ten federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. While we talk about tote on Toker Talk Radio. So by the way, when it comes to pot, you know, if you're 40 years old, you live in a log cabin in Oregon, you got 12 giant pot plants in your backyard. Have a ball live from beautiful Portland, Oregon, at Rolla J Studios.
4: Hey, Get of
1: it Plus your calls live at 971 533 7111 They're walking
4: on their pants with their cap on backwards. listening to the Animal Man, and Snoopy Snoopy Poop Dog.
7: What's to keep somebody from getting all potted up on weed and then
3: getting behind the wheel? Gateway theory does work. Maybe. It's a reality.
0: How is it real?
3: Don't tease me. We're locking up people that take a
4: couple of puffs of marijuana, and, and the, the next thing you know, they got 10 years.
1: And now, here's your host, the guru of ganja graphics, the sultan of sativa statistics, and the worst nightmare of a reefer mad prohibitionist. A polite, perspicacious, productive pothead with a propensity for PowerPoint. Radical, Russ, Bellville.
3: Thank you, thank you. Welcome back, everybody. It's hour two, Toker Talk Radio, where you are the voice of the marijuana nation. So glad to have you here. Oh, a raucous applause. Thank you, thank you very much. Thank you. Bring that down just a little bit. You guys are crazy. Well, it's back to being gray and cloudy here in Oregon. I can't see Mount Hood out that window, and I can't see Mount St. Helens out the other window, so (laughs) time for me to hit the road. (laughs) The sunshine is gone. I've got to go chase the sun. We're headed out to uh, Washington, D.C. on Thursday, and really looking forward to it, although I understand it's been kind of cold on the eastern seaboard. We'll see what the uh, weather turns out to be, but I'll be uh, covering the Students for Sensible Drug Policy conference out there in Washington. It's happening in Arlington. And I also get the opportunity to hang out with my friend Keith Strop, the founder of Normal. And it's my hope that we get a chance to have a Good, intimate conversation about what's happening in marijuana law reform, and we'll bring that to you here as an exclusive on the Rust Bellville show. We got a lot of changes coming up for the Rust Bellvell show too. Uh, gotta do a rebuild on my website. I've got some new posts up there at radicalrust.com, but we need a rebuild, put some of the cannabis radio branding on that, maybe reconfigure it a little bit, modernize it a bit for tablets and everything, make it a little more podcast friendly, and We'll be bringing back the Russ Belville Show VIPs, very important potheads. No, very important people. And uh, you'll be able to get other exclusive content and all sorts of discounts through the Russ Belville Show and our sponsors and suppliers if you become a VIP. So we'll get that set up, uh, I imagine, around May. We'll probably be rolling that out. And if you were a previous 420 Radio VIP, you will be grandfathered in. We'll just port you right over, and you'll be a Russ Belville Show VIP. Some of the cool things include your own custom Russ Belville Show pin. And um, like I said, we'll have all sorts of content and discounts available for you. So uh, I had a uh, listener from Texas who's uh, in the chat room, said he was going to be calling in. So we've got the phone lines open. We'll wait for that call. Uh, it says he disagrees with him, with something he's heard me say year after year, which is, um, yeah, that's good. I'm glad people disagree with me. Uh, Kelly in the chat room says he never got swag from the 420 radio VIP. Oh, Kelly, email me. I'll, I'll get that stuff to you. Uh, radicalrest at gmail.com may have, uh, fallen through the cracks. I've, I've had to move a couple of times. <laughs> so things have gotten a little chaotic. Appreciate your patience though, and appreciate your support. You know, I, I, um, I've never been more sure about anything in my life than what I'm doing right now, traveling across the country, meeting reformers, pushing for the end of adult marijuana prohibition, learning about the topic, researching the science, the history, the culture, everything having to do with cannabis. This is my life's mission, and I couldn't be more honored that you guys help support me do that. So thank you so much. And so long as you keep doing that, I'll keep doing this, and I'll keep bringing you free content weekdays on cannabisradio.com so you can listen on your commute or while you're trimming or whatever it is you're doing when you're listening to this podcast. All right, we're going to take a break and uh, in 2 minutes we'll be back uh, maybe with a caller. If not, we'll discuss some more about that Australian medical marijuana and how medical marijuana headlines aren't aren't as fun as they used to be. You're listening to Toker Talk Radio. Hour two of the Russ Bellville show on CannabisRadio.com, live from Portland, Oregon.
1: This is The Russ Bellville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
4: Keep your cannabis cravings under control. Feed your mind with CannabisRadio.com.
0: The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Fuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens.
3: Cannabis is just one of the many great plants that we have on this planet called Earth that we can use consciously and intelligently.
1: You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com, where we don't change our mind on decriminalization during an election year. Remember, friends, there's more to life than marijuana. I just can't remember what it is. Why'd I come in? You're tuned into the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation, only on CannabisRadio.com.
3: Welcome back, everybody. Nine minutes after the hour, and uh, I hope we've got our caller on the line. He's been trying to dial in. I saw the voice message came through, so... I just made the dial back. I hope you can forgive me for dialing you back, but uh, do we have our Texas toker on the line? You do. How's it going, Mr. Belville? I'm doing fantastic, but uh, uh, Mr. Bellville's somewhere in Nampa, Idaho right now. That's my dad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Radical <laughs> Russ, man. What's happening? Hey, uh,
6: I just wanted to call in. Uh, first of all, just wanted to say uh, thanks for everything you're doing. I've been listening since normal show live days and uh, listening and learning. Thank but, you. Uh, I'm Wanted to call in because uh, there's something I sadly have to disagree with uh, that that I've heard you say, uh, don't, you know, don't, over and over again. Don't be
3: sad because I I could be wrong.
6: Well, actually, uh, I believed it too <laughs> uh, okay. until about this time last year, uh, and that's that. Uh, uh, the herb is a uh, a more social drug than 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 other drugs. Okay. Uh, I think you mentioned the anecdote that you know you never see a, a beer circle. Yeah, and right, yeah, and, and uh, up until cannabis cup in Denver last year, I totally agreed. Uh, but one thing that I uh, I noticed and and was kind of saddened by uh, was the fact that when when everybody has their own stash, uh, you're less likely to uh, to want to share spit with, with your neighbor mm, that you don't know.
3: Yeah. No, I think you're, I think you're onto something there. There's a, there's a great Chief Greenbud song called, uh, uh, when pot was illegal and it goes when pot was illegal, it used to be fun. You could roll into town and not know anyone. Right. It was all about how right. being outlaws, we had this shared community where, you know, you had to share weed, but now, and I agree exactly. with you on this point, cause I've been to some of these cups, you know, especially with younger people and it's all vape pens now and everybody's just got right. their own vape pen and they're not passing that around or sharing. So you may be onto something there. So, yeah, I was
6: just going to say, I think that's a, probably more of a a function of prohibition than than the fact that it's uh, necessarily more social.
3: Yeah. So I guess, I guess now we'd have to like evaluate, you know, now that we can tease the prohibition out of it right now, like you said, everybody can have their own stash. Now we have to figure out, all right, so does the psychological effect of cannabis versus alcohol make a difference into whether or not people are social? You can argue with alcohol that it lowers your inhibitions. So, you know, you're more likely to have fun and party. And maybe with marijuana, you can argue it makes you more introspective. And so, you know, the the pharmacology of it may may actually make us less social. So it'll be something we'll have to look at. Yeah, absolutely. Right on. Well, I appreciate you calling in, man. And and, uh, you're in uh, North Dallas, is that right? That's correct. Far out, man. I'll be out there for the... uh, The uh, global cannabis march out there in Fort Worth on uh, May seventh.
6: Yeah, looking forward to seeing
3: you I love it. Every time I go to Texas, I have a great time. Right on. Right, thanks for calling. Hey, thanks in. for having me on, Russ. You bet. Appreciate that. Although, actually, I called him, so <laughs> but he did call in first. We just playing telephone tag, and that's cool. That's please disagree with me, please. Please! That's how I learn. That's how I hone my arguments, right? Like, imagine like you were a a ninja and you never trained. You never fought. You never had any sparring, right? Your skills would decline. No matter how much you train on your own, your skills would decline. You need battle. You need to hone your skills with an opponent. And so, if you disagree with me, please call in. I, I appreciate that. You may find we don't really disagree that much. Anyway, the phone line is 971-533-7111. Toker Talk Radio, Hour 2. You are the voice of the marijuana nation. Let me get back to this story we covered uh, briefly in the headlines. And it was about Victoria, the state in Australia. And this is where Melbourne, Australia is located. Victoria has become the first state to legalize medical cannabis. In Australia. And this has generated some international headlines. Wow, you know, legalized medical cannabis. Yay, yay. But these headlines now are be- slowly becoming less and less celebratory for me. Because once you start reading the story, it's not about medical marijuana like we would think of it in the West Coast, where a patient who's suffering can plant some seeds in a pot and grow a plant they could harvest and then use to treat themselves at relatively low cost. No, this is one of these medical marijuanas where the state's going to license a few commercial growers who have to pass enormous financial and regulatory hurdles to get into the game, and they'll manufacture some... Non smoked cannabis oils and tinctures and balms and lotions and pills and inhalers or anything else that you can't smoke, anything that takes it away from being a bud, that's what you'll be able to get your hands on in Victoria, Australia. And this is, you know, this is going along with the trend that we've seen in Minnesota and New York and what they're proposing in Pennsylvania and some other states. This whole idea of this non smoked medical marijuana it's really the only direction medical marijuana could have gone rhetorically and strategically. Our opponents know they've lost the argument on whether or not marijuana is medicine. It's, you know, there's no denying it, especially after the Sanjay Gupta specials and you see these seizing little kids that become healthy again. There's no denying it anymore, but the, uh, way they can deny it is through the successful demonization of tobacco smoking. Smoking has become a nasty thing. Smoking is something lower class degenerate Ooh, smoking is disgusting kind of thing. Again, not my opinion, just, you know, talking about what our societal framing is right now. So our opponents to some, some degree of success are pulling in that disgust and that social disapproval of smoke and attaching it to marijuana. And that's, and that's happening in the non-smoked medical marijuana states, as if smoking the marijuana would somehow be non-medical for these people. But they can attack it because of this fear of smoke in the tobacco frame. And this is extended even into the recreational marijuana frame here in the state of Oregon, where they amended our Clean Air Act to include secondhand smoke from cannabis. And the whole premise of the act was the secondhand smoke from tobacco is shown to be harmful, and that's harmful for workers and people in public buildings, and so we need to ban it. So they just tacked on something else that hasn't been scientifically shown to have those same harms. They're just using the harms of tobacco smoke in a guilt by association to attack cannabis smoke and, and they're winning. It's working in the medical marijuana realm because it forces us. If we're trying to defend a whole plant, medical marijuana, it forces us to defend people smoking a medicine and, and and no other medicine is smoked. And we get that attack from the, Kevin Sabet handbook of, well, we don't smoke opium. We've got morphine. We don't smoke opium. Now, we know that's, that it's fallacious in that just because it's being smoked, just because the route of administration might be disapproved on by society doesn't mean it doesn't actually work medically. We know the facts. Facts don't always help when you're dealing with these debates. These are debates based on emotion and prejudice and fear. So sometimes the facts don't help. And in this case, we're losing this battle. Medical marijuana is increasingly becoming more medical and less marijuana, as I predicted it would. The end path of medical marijuana is GW Pharmaceuticals' bottom line. Simple. Because medical is a bigger frame than marijuana. We tried to use medical to save marijuana. Marijuana was in this terrible, awful frame throughout the 60s and 70s and somewhat the 80s of being the stoners. And the losers and the gateway drug and all the terrible things they said about it. And so in the 90s, some of the reformers said, hey, to rescue this frame, we'll reframe it with medical marijuana. Now we've got a new frame. Marijuana is something good that helps sick people with AIDS and cancer. Marijuana is a good thing. It's medical. Problem is, once we landed into that medical frame, we now became subject to everything else in the medical frame. Doctors prescriptions, dosages, potencies uh, 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 side effect lists and so forth so we got stuck into this paradigm that says to get your healing, you have to go to the learned physician in the white coat who's paid through the uh paid with the the insurance money we 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 bought into the very paradigm that medical marijuana, that the medical use of cannabis could break us away from. The best part about medical cannabis is you can grow it yourself and use it yourself without any other outside producer or processor or retailer. You don't need the pharmaceutical factory, the pharmaceutical company, the pharmacy, the pharmacist, the health insurance, the doctor's prescription, You can plant a seed in the ground and heal yourself with a flower. That's the best part of medical marijuana. But the tactic of medical marijuana put us in the realm of pills and doctors and pharmacists. So it reiterates what I've always been saying. And that is, if you want access to whole plant medical, whole plant cannabis, if you want access to the cannabis plant, whether it's because it's your sacrament for your religion, or because it's your medicine for your condition. You need to get behind people who want it because they just want to get high. Because so long as you maintain artificial reasons as to why someone has the right to use cannabis, you face the possibility of being left out. mf I want more ice tea oh no when Bill O'Reilly calls you an mf you know something's up and I know what's up it's 420 here in beautiful legal potland Oregon where I can uh, light this joint and I can smoke it legally that's what I'm going to do if you can do so I would encourage you to do so as well if you're an adult we we'll be back in two minutes stick around From
8: dads to chivas, sativas to indicas, we roll out a whole concentrate of fresh new content every week. It's like going from the greenhouse to the dispensary. Cannabisradio.com
4: More flavor.
5: This is Cannabis Facts from Robert Platschorn's TheSilverTour.org. Supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., poised to lead America's hemp revolution at HempInc.com. In 1937, the second most prescribed medicine, marijuana, was banned. It wasn't about marijuana. The paper, oil, and chemical industries lobbied to end hemp farming. No longer labor-intensive, an acre of hemp produced more quality paper than four acres of trees. Plastics and fibers could be produced from a plant. Hemp can even produce ten times the energy of today's ethanol. As marijuana prohibition ends, many states now allow farmers to again grow hemp. This was Cannabis Facts from thesilvertour.org, an educational nonprofit supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to process America's hemp crop at hempinc.com.
1: You're listening to Radical Russ on the Russ Belleville Show.
3: Are you playing an acoustic guitar but want to be louder without an amp? Try a resonator guitar. The Fingerboard Extension has National Resophonic and other resonators, square necks and round necks. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today. Or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. Go wild hog in the woods.
1: Warning, hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at all. These people are professionals. Or at least they pay me to say that. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everyone. 23
3: and a half after the hour. And uh, continuing our look at the international marijuana news, we just talked about Australia. Now, uh, let me go back to France. We had that story from Paris, France about this parliamentary minister who uh, suggested that, hey, prohibition's not working. I mean, uh, look around you. We've got prohibition since 1970 in France, and uh, our kids use marijuana more. ...than any other kids in Europe. French kids. 15% of French 15-year-olds, according to the World Health Organization, have consumed marijuana. And so this uh, this minister committed a gaffe, which in politics is described as inadvertently telling the truth. <laughs> and in this case, the gaffe was telling the truth that prohibition in France isn't working. You've got the highest teen rate of marijuana use yet you've had prohibition since 1970. Your war on drugs is not working. And he suggested that maybe we ought to start looking at doing some decriminalization in stages for adults. Oh, no, no, no. There was a terrible, terrible outcry from both the left and the right in France. One of his fellow party members, socialist party members, jumped all over him on this measure, saying... What do you say? Uh, uh, We have let our guard down in the fight against drugs. That's a terrible French accent, which is ironic as I'm of French descent. Uh, (laughs) And then on the right, uh, the former prime minister said legalization of cannabis would be an extremely permissive signal to send to young people. And it just warms my heart to know that Reefer Madness has got, you know, it's international, like all over the world. Different countries, different cultures, different languages. They all have the same basic concepts. What about the children? Watsi exists in France. <laughs> what about the children? We have let our God down. Again, in the fight against drugs. Um, but again, you have to ask these people, why do you think what you're doing is working when you've got the highest rate? And then you look over to Spain, right next door <laughs> to France, Spain they have these cultivation clubs, right? You can you can join a co op. Now it's tough. It's like, you know, you gotta be sponsored. Like somebody in the co op's gotta know you and sponsor you. And you gotta be a Spanish citizen. And then then you can be sponsored to join this special club that you all share in the expense of cultivating cannabis, and then you get your cannabis. So that's going on in Spain. Got plenty of adults over there smoking. Then you've got uh, uh, Amsterdam, you got the Netherlands, to the other side of France, up north a bit, that has had its famously tolerant policy since the 1970s. While France was busy banning it, the Netherlands, the Dutch, were busy selling it in coffee shops, taking it away from the hard drugs market. And so what do you see? Well, you see Spain and, Fra- uh, uh, and Holland, not even in the top... Uh, percentages there, the top eight of the World Health Organization countries on kids that smoke pot. France is number one. (laughs) So just like we've seen, you know, in America, you try to prohibit it. And for some reason, more kids are using it. And this led to an article that I wrote today for high times, and I, I missed my deadline. So I don't know if it got in uh, today, I, I apologize. Please, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was late, but um, and that is this: what about the children argument? And it's one of the few arguments that's left that they've got. Uh, the prohibitionists have that they gain any traction whatsoever. This Watsy thing, and it's because nothing shuts down the logic circuits in a parent like threatening their kid's safety. So. When you have this argument, when you're dealing with what about the children, Watsy, understand the battle that you're fighting is not one of logic, it's one of emotion. So the first step is to leverage that fear of their kids, for their kids, <laughs> and maybe in some cases of their kids, uh, leverage that fear for their children to our advantage. They need to fear the effect of prohibition on their kids. More than whatever it is they're imagining legalization is going to be. Prohibition needs to become the enemy. Don't try to extinguish the fear first. Redirect the fear. I call this rhetorical jujitsu. jitsu jitsu is a uh, martial art that uses an opponent's force in redirection. Rather than trying to stop the attack, you redirect it to harm the opponent. So this is one of those redirections we've got a fear circuit activated. (gasps) Oh no, kids and weed (gasps) and say, yeah. Oh no, kids and weed. They're getting it now. Even though we've tried to ban it, it's happening now. You need to bring people to understanding that the prohibition that exists now is unacceptable because it's a failed policy that does not work. It does not protect your children. We need them to fear the prohibition more than they fear the legalization. And one of the quick sound bites that does that, is drug dealers don't check ID. It's one of the best responses Best responses that our activists have come up with because it implicitly frames that status quo as a danger to the kids. They've got easy access to marijuana now in a system that doesn't care if they're underaged. So at least if we create a system that does care if they're underaged, won't that help? And I always, you know, you gotta be careful about this because you don't want to imply that legalizing marijuana means kids will never get marijuana. We've got legal alcohol now. We've got legal cigarettes now and kids get access to those. We've got legal prescription drugs kids aren't supposed to have. They get access to those and, you know, it happens. So don't get caught in the trap of saying, you know, legalization is going to, you know, drug dealers don't check IDs. And then once we check IDs, no kids will ever have weed. No, that, that's not going to help. You got to be careful about this because they'll they'll bring up well, you know, alcohol's banned, but when I was underage, we used to get around that, you know, you knew a guy with a fake ID or you knew a particular store clerk who wasn't too careful or you'd have an adult buy the booze for you, you know, get some guy sitting outside the 7-Eleven or whatever. The answer for that is yes, but at some point in that process, you had to corrupt an adult to get the booze, right? Either the store clerk with the fake ID or the store clerk not being responsible or by corrupting that adult paying a money to buy the six pack, right? You couldn't just go to Tommy, the tea tequila dealer in the high school parking lot and buy your tequila. You had to get an adult involved at some point, right? And the point here is to show that legalization isn't going to make it worse. It could make it better, but leave that as an implication Don't get caught staking your claim on, yes, once we legalize, it'll be so much better for kids. It might not be. It might just be the same, like what we've seen in Colorado and Washington, where the use has kind of stayed the same. I believe that the use stays the same because the kids have already had their access. They've already got all the access they need. This is where you pivot to saying that, you know, nothing ever eliminates Teen access to drugs. We've got legal alcohol, tobacco, and prescriptions. The question is, how easy do you make it? And this is where you start to paint legalization as the answer to that problem is, is saying, you know, with prohibition, we make marijuana so ridiculously profitable by restricting access that there's profit in being a weed dealer. The reason there aren't any high school tequila dealers isn't because teenagers don't like to drink. <laughs> we know that's not true. It's because there's no way to profit from it. There's no way for a kid to buy a case of tequila and sit in a high school parking lot and sell it at a markup and make money on it. And then you start hitting them with some data. And this is where I point out that you know, Washington and Colorado, the, the kids access didn't change. They, the, the dealer network they've got didn't go away and it's not going to go away. The point of legalization is it doesn't make it any easier for them. And we hope it makes it harder. Since 1975, the government's been asking 12th graders how easy it would be for them to score weed. This is where you lay the point down that what's going on now doesn't work. For 40 years now, since 1975, for 40 years, between 80 and 91% of the high school seniors said it would be easy or fairly easy to score weed. But last year, for the first time ever, Fewer than eighty percent of the seniors said they could easily score weed now, yeah, it's barely below eighty percent it's seventy nine point five but still, after three years of legalization, it hasn't gotten easier for kids to get weed, and it's get tiny bit harder and then sometimes you'll receive a rebuttal that's based in fear mongering that's been pushed by the Rocky Mountain High Intensity Drug Trafficking Area and other prohibitionists that'll say, oh, but uh, Colorado has far greater teenage marijuana use rates than the rest of the country. See, legalized marijuana, more kids are smoking pot in Colorado than any other state. Well, this is where you have to follow that up with, yes, don't disagree. Yes, more kids in Colorado smoke than any other state. And they always have. Colorado's always had greater use rates after legalization and before legalization, before medical marijuana and after medical marijuana. Legalization doesn't make people smoke pot. Where people already smoke pot, they more likely favor legalization. Got to get the causation in the right order here. There's a reason why Washington, Oregon, California, Colorado were some of the first states to pass medical marijuana. And it wasn't that medical marijuana made more people smoke pot in those states. It's because there was already more popularity in smoking pot, more acceptance in marijuana culture in those states. And that leads to reforms. Whether or not a state has legal marijuana or medical marijuana is a reflection of how much that state already approves of marijuana. It doesn't cause more people to approve of it. Well, actually, it does after a while when they realize the sky hasn't fallen. But it doesn't cause them to use marijuana, is my point. Now, whenever you're dealing with kids, you also may get some of these prohibition talking points. And when we come back from our break, we'll tackle some of the most popular ones, like when they say kids could lose eight points of IQ or if they smoke pot, it's going to lead to worse life outcomes by the time they turn into middle age. We'll debunk that and more. The typical prohibitionist talking points right here on Toker Talk Radio, the voice of the marijuana nation. I'm Radical Russ, live from beautiful, legal potland, Oregon. We're going to take a break so we can pay some of the bills. And if you would like to sponsor the Russ Bellville Show on CannabisRadio.com, please let me know. You can reach me as Radical Russ everywhere. Gmail, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, SoundCloud, YouTube. LinkedIn, Snapchat, uh, what else, Skype, <laughs> MassRoots, Doobie, uh, Instagram. <laughs> we'll be right back.
1: This is the Russ Bellville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
4: Legal to listen to all over the world. We're just not sure about France. Uh-huh. I I live. Live. I can't Cannabisradio.com.
0: Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com, helping Gondrepreneurs grow.
3: I'm Radical Russ from the Russ Belleville Show. Tennessee's Congressman Steve Cohen. Well, you know, if marijuana is a gateway drug,
2: then kissing is a gateway activity to sexual addiction.
3: U.S. Representative Jared Polis. Yes, we really have a growing group of, uh, of representatives that um, support decriminalization. It's the Russ Bellville Show, the NPR of POT, weekdays live at 6 Eastern, 3 Pacific, exclusively on CannabisRadio.com. You're not high. You're listening to The Russ
1: Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
3: They're bringing drugs. They're bringing crime. They're rapists. And some, I assume, are good people.
1: Okay. Maybe you're high, too.
3: New beginner guitars and banjos are often constructed much better than ones built before your time. Why struggle? Get a new instrument or fix the old one. The trusted professionals at the Fingerboard Extension will evaluate your instrument for free. Repairs are priced for people who work for a living. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com.
1: You're tuned into the Rush Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation, only on CannabisRadio.com.
3: Oh, well, somebody, please think of the children. Watsy? what about the children? That's one of the prohibitionist's main talking points and one of the few halfway decent ones they have left. And I, I mean that with respect to how much effect it has, not how logical it is. I mean, really, if you're worried about the children, wouldn't you want to take marijuana out of criminal hands? A a whole lot of what prohibition depends on is a fantasy. It's this idea that you can eliminate the law of supply and demand, that there could be this consumer product that people really, really want. And just through declaration of law say that the people can't have that product. Now, this can have varying degrees of success depending on what the product is. Okay, When we're talking about something that's a synthetic, something that's manufactured, something that requires a lot of expertise to put together, the government might have some degree of success in preventing people from getting their hands on that. Now, they'll create a black market in it, and that black market will be violent And it will raise the price of said product. But there can be limited degrees of success. But when we're talking about a product that is a freaking weed, (laughs) it's a plant, right? That can be grown clandestinely, outdoors and indoors. There's no possible way that any administrative fiat can declare it to no longer be so. To no longer exist. To just completely eradicate it. Just can't happen. Not without the application of techniques that would be so repulsive to the mainstream that it would be counter to their goals. Like, it, you know, if they defoliated, you know, the Agent Orange all through you know, the humble Trinity Mountains and all that, yeah, you might have greater degree of success, but nobody's going to put up with that. Nobody's going to allow that to happen. If you had death penalty for marijuana possession, maybe that starts to reduce some use rates, you know, if we were Singapore or, or one of these, you know, Malaysia or something. Yeah, but nobody's going to go with that. Nobody's going to accept that. It's not in the realm of American possibility. But these what about the children arguments? A lot of them are predicated on this idea, this very idea that if that by prohibiting it, we're actually helping the kids in some way. We're keeping it away from them somehow. And obviously that's not true. Whether or not you think it works or not, it's not. <laughs> we have the numbers. We know how many kids between the ages of 12 and 17 end up using marijuana. And for this discussion, 18's an adult, folks. That's I'm sorry, that's what I'm going with for this discussion. 18's an adult. So we know how many kids 12 to 17 are using <laughs> marijuana. Obviously, what we're doing now isn't keeping it out of their hands. So given that marijuana is going to get into their hands because we've had 40 years of really punitive laws to try to stop it. And nobody anymore wants to make them more punitive. So given that there's going to be access for these kids, they're going to get a hold of weed. Who should be in control of that? Should we continue to let criminals be in control of that? Because they are right now. And it's happening right now. Kids are getting their access to weed. And when we say criminals in that context, keep in mind that we're talking about people that grow a plant and provide it to other people who want it. Really no crime going on there. What becomes criminal is the interactions between actors in that market who cannot settle their disputes in court. That's what where the criminality comes into it. And it usually only comes into it at the higher levels of distribution. For a lot of people that are getting their hands on weed, they're getting it from a guy who knows a guy. And the guy is the guy who's growing the weed. There's a guy who grows the weed, there's a couple of the guys that know that guy, and then there's a bunch of people that know the guy who knows the guy. And that's usually the extent of most people's weed network. It's not a whole lot of people that are linked in necessarily to the whole Mexican cartels or big violent gangs access uh, aspect. I will I will concede that point to some degree to Kevin Sabet and his ilk. Now I've had my experiences. Most of the time I knew the guy. I was the guy who knew the guy, right? I knew the guy who was growing the weed. I knew the farmer who was producing that plant and getting it straight from the source. But there were also circumstances where I found myself in some very shady situations with, uh, Mexican cartel members in Caldwell, Idaho and other places, Mountain Home and other places. So I've seen it. I know what's happening on all these levels. Regardless, if we're talking about someone getting it from a Mexican cartel or someone getting it from Clyde, the guy down the street they know, we're still dealing with a market that isn't regulated or tested or inspected in any way. So given that the kids are going to get their hands on some weed, Should it be weed that hasn't been inspected or tested or labeled or anyone knows anything about it and possibly comes with a heaping helping of criminal activity and violence? Or should the kids get weed from at least some grower who was licensed or some shop that was licensed in some way if it was to be diverted from those places? It's not going to get any worse, right? Like the weed they're getting now isn't going to get any more illegal and isn't going to get any more Pesticidey pesticide or moldy or anything. You know, the risks they're taking now all still exist. But if they got some that was diverted from the legal market, at least it would be safer, wouldn't it? Just like, you know, kids in the 1920s, when they got their hands on alcohol, it could have been bathtub gin. Could have made them go blind. Now when kids get a hold of a bottle of gin, at least we know it's not going to make them go blind. They might get drunk, wreck their car. My alcohol overdose. <laughs> There's all those possibilities. But at least they're not going to go blind. We've reduced the harm somewhat. But that's the thing is these these prohibitionists have this idea that legalization invents marijuana. If we legalize, oh no, there'll be marijuana. No, marijuana's here. Marijuana's already here. And there are already kids that are using it. So this is where... This false belief system theirs comes in when they start to point out all these health effects that might happen to kids if they use marijuana. Now, a lot of them are not true. Some of them have some degree of truth to them. We generally agree that young people shouldn't be using a whole lot of marijuana for non-medical purposes because of their developing brain. Now, we don't know to what degree it might affect that, but, you know... We are talking about a developing brain. Why not just err on the side of caution? My point has always been that when you're a young man between the ages of 12 and, say, 21, you're crazy anyway. Your brain is all so full with hormones and puberty that, (laughs) you know, rational thought isn't always your first, second, or even third option. Let's not add mind-altering substances to the mix. But I digress. The point of this is, That the prohibitionists have this idea that legalization invents marijuana, and if we legalize it, these terrible things would happen to kids. Well, I always turn that back around on and say, look, the marijuana exists now, and so the terrible things that you're warning us about are risks they already take. And they already have, like we said, 80 to 91% easy access to this stuff. And the stuff they have access to isn't tested, labeled, or regulated, or or inspected, and nobody's checking their ID for it. So what I'm proposing with legalization isn't going to make anything worse. What, you think their access is going to go above 80% once it's legal? I don't think so. As legalization drops the price of marijuana, as we've seen in Washington and Oregon, and somewhat in Colorado, as legalization drops the price of marijuana, it becomes less lucrative to be a pot dealer there becomes less access in the black market. And what access does exist doesn't make as much profit on marijuana. These guys increasingly will be less and less likely to want to sell weed. This will reduce the access for kids more than any prohibition has ever been able to accomplish. And so far, we've seen a tiny, tiny decline. Two of the other talking points you'll hear in this respect with the uh, the what about the children they'll cite that Dunedin study that kids will lose eight points of IQ. Oh no, you smoke pot as a teenager. By the time you're middle-aged, you'll lose eight points of IQ. And the other one is you smoke pot as a teenager. This is the, the most recent one. You smoke pot as a teenager and it leads to worse life outcomes. You'll lower social status, less happiness, more likelihood of, you know, interspousal violence and less income and attainment and etc. Right. So, It can be tricky discussing these things because you don't want to try to dismiss the harms of marijuana to children. Trying to convince their parent it's no big deal if their kid smokes pot just activates that emotional fear circuit about their kids. It's going to erase your logical argument. So don't don't try to dismiss it, right? We don't want to try to say, no, your kid can smoke pot and he'll be as smart as ever, which is true actually. But it's a hard thing to rhetorically defend. So you can't let the reefer man to stand. You have to address it. I usually say, look, no one wants kids smoking pot, but that IQ study was soundly debunked in the same journal that printed the study. And a recent study of identical twins found no cognitive difference between the twin who smoked pot and the twin who didn't smoke pot. So we're trying to say, it's not going to make things any worse. Don't let them try to put you into a position of saying it's going to make it better. And then pivot it to the danger. It's not to say we want teenagers smoking pot, but legal or not, some kids will use it. Just like we don't want a teen dying from a batch of Al Capone's moonshine, we don't want drug dealers selling prohibition marijuana to kids laced with God knows what. And on that second point, the whole marijuana outcomes thing, use their own rhetoric against them. Put the fear back in the parents' heart that these marijuana laws are going to hurt their kids more than the marijuana could. You can say, yeah, look, there's no doubt that marijuana use leads to worse life outcomes in general because people who get caught with marijuana get expelled from school. They get fired from their jobs. They get locked up in cages. So if your kid did get caught with weed, he's experimenting in college or something, gets caught, would he or she be better off with a criminal record living in your basement rather than going to college or working? See, I hit him right there with. The kid's living in the basement. It's like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> if this prohibition does affect my kid, who are they going to turn to? They're going to be dropped out of college. And, and you know, a lot of parents are ignorant on this. and They think... You know, getting caught with weed's a slap on the wrist, and so I don't like my kid smoking weed. The cop's caught him. He'll get the slap on the wrist. That'll turn my kid's life around, and he'll start making better decisions. Not realizing that, no, it's not a slap on the wrist. It can have a devastating impact at this critical juncture in a young person's life. When they're building their early uh, employment options, when they're building their early educational options, a a weed bust can be devastating. And and not just for the kid, but also on the parents, on their pocketbook. Who's going to hire those lawyers? Where's that kid going to live? He's going to come back, live in your basement, and you're going to be paying lawyer bills. So we got to turn this argument, this what about the children argument, back on them by saying, yeah, what about the children? What about the children getting untested, tainted weed? What about the children not being checked for ID? What about the children who can make easy, good money being weed dealers? What about the children who don't get good, logical information about this drug and then may think they were being lied to about the other drugs? And, of course, what about the children who do need this as medicine to stop epilepsy or multiple sclerosis or something, who are denied this wonder? This ability to lead a real meaningful life. We're going to take a break. We'll come back and close up shop here on a Tuesday. I'm Radical Russ, live in Portland, Oregon.
1: This is the Russ Bellville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
4: Being green is good. Growing green is good. Making green is great. CannabisRadio.com
2: with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at Development.com.
5: It's time for cannabis facts about teen drug use from Robert Platchorn's Silvertour.org. This message is supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to lead America's hemp revolution at hempinc.com A recent survey by the U.S. Centers for Disease Control indicates that in states that have legalized medical marijuana, the rate of marijuana consumption among high school students has not increased. In fact, in legal states like Colorado, teen use has actually decreased significantly. It's simply no longer a big deal for teenagers in legal states. This was Cannabis Facts from thesilvertour.org, an educational nonprofit supported by our donors and Hemp, Inc., a public company poised to lead America's hemp revolution at hempinc.com.
1: The Russ Belleville Show reminds you to never smoke and drive impaired. Hang out for a while and share. Hello, Mr. Man. Hi. I'm doing... I'm I'm working. I'm sorry. No food till this is done. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
3: Hey, welcome back, everybody. We're just closing up shop here on the Russ Belleville Show, but we'll be back live tomorrow from Refuge PDX and our coverage of the uh, pre-party for Blazers versus Nugs. It's a uh, special uh, party with Uncle Spliffy, Cliff Robinson. So we're really looking forward to that. Also got a message from Jackie in our chat room who wanted me to remind you all about the podcast awards. So you can go to podcastawards.com and you can nominate your favorite podcast for different categories, I guess. And um, I'm not going to tell you which podcast to nominate as your favorite. You can decide. (laughs) But it's at uh, podcastawards.com if you're interested in doing such a thing. Uh, Also got a new piece up on the Huffington Post in their politics section uh, addressing Hillary Clinton's latest comment. Oh, it's a it's a whopper, folks. Uh, Here's the actual quote. She says, most of the guns that are used in crimes and violence and killings in New York come from out of state. And the state that has the highest number of per capita gun, the highest per capita number of guns that end up committing those crimes in New York come from Vermont. Per capita guns. What, what kind of bullshit stat is that? <laughs> so what she's referring to is that there were 55 guns. 55 guns that made their way into New York in 2014 out of 4008 that were happening crimes that was 1.4% of the gri- the crime guns in New York came from Vermont 30 what 438% something like that came from uh, 34.9% came from New York and came from six southern states, Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Alabama, and Florida, or what uh, gun advocates call the Iron uh, Corridor, the Iron Highway, or whatever, per capita guns. That's like if there's a guy in the house next door who has a gun who's a lunatic, and there's an apartment building next door that has a 1,000 people in it, and a 100 of them have guns that are lunatics, I should be more worried about the guy in the house because there's 100% per capita gun ownership in that house versus 10% per capita gun ownership over there in the apartment building. (laughs) Hillary Clinton's getting desperate, folks. That's up on Huffington Post in their politics section. Check it out. It's called Hillary's BS Per Capita Gun Stat. For everyone here at CannabisRadio.com, I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us. Talk to you tomorrow. Until next time, take care of each other, tokers.
1: This is The Russ Bellville Show. The Russ Bellville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seat, you
2: it, you grow it, you giant, you
7: roll it, you You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it and it goes down smooth. earth.